Hello and welcome to the Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today we're putting agile working and hybrid models of work firmly in the spotlight. Through the prism of UBS's own story of dynamism, agility, innovation and leadership in this space since the start of the pandemic. We're fortunate enough to be sitting down with UBS's Group Head of Human Resources, Stefan Seiler, who's very much on the front line of this process and has been from the get-go. Stefan's going to tell us about UBS's approach and successes so far. He'll explain the transformational power of adapting to run agile teams in corporate structures, and he'll share a deep conviction that agile working will not only help good businesses survive and thrive in the pandemic, but will positively reshape the world of work forever. It's a pleasure to welcome Stefan Seiler to the programme. Stefan, a warm welcome indeed. As Group Head of Human Resources, you're surely the perfect man to talk to about agile working, hybrid work, all the changes that have been happening over nearly now, what, two years since the start of the pandemic. Let me kick off by asking you that question, I suppose. The pandemic I'm sitting here now, literally right now with COVID, so it, it affects everything. But the pandemic's had a huge impact on, in particular, how companies work, how they look to serve their clients most effectively. Many have adapted their approach in ways that have been well well documented, introducing all kinds of different flexible working arrangements. Just tell us a little bit, first of all, about UBS's approach to this challenge and maybe reflect a little bit about what your colleagues and clients alike have had to say about the changes that you've been making. Yeah, as, as you mentioned, the pandemic really forced us to go almost from one day to another with relatively little planning ahead of time to move from traditional ways of working, traditional ways of processing our activities and also traditional ways of interacting with clients and internally into a completely different setup because we were simply forced to work remotely. Most of our employees and at the peak of the pandemic, we had globally more than 80% of our people at a consecutive day working from home, with more than 90% of people being enabled to work from home. So it really forced us to operate in a completely different way with relatively short period of time to adapt. What this did is it forced the organization to get into very innovative ways of thinking because otherwise we would not have been able to stay in business. And if I may say, throughout the whole pandemic until today, we were every day able to serve our clients, be it on the trading side that our platforms were active and open, but also be it on the advisory side in wealth management and other businesses that we were able to interact with our clients, give them advice, support them in their uh, decisions they had to take, which was very important as well, because Obviously, with such moving markets and such high levels of uncertainty, there was a high need and demand for interacting with our clients on their financial questions they had in mind. And therefore, this ability to ongoingly interact with them was extremely important. And we were able to do that in a completely remote way, as we did it before when most of our employees were working in the office. So that was a huge change. And it was actually uh, the driver was a forced change. But once you were in that new mode of operating, you started to realize certain things are actually easier and more effective and efficient to do in a remote and new way. 
So what we did then relatively quickly after two, three months in the pandemic was starting to think about what are the lessons learned which we can also use for a post-pandemic environment or let's say for a more normalized new reality that will be there after the pandemic is over or once we start to get used to the way of operating. And that's when we started to take processes we implemented through the pandemic into more stable processes, respectively thinking through how can we rethink our delivery and interacting with clients, but also internally completely. And nowadays, what has been perceived as maybe unfriendly or in a sense of you don't care enough for me to visit me is now more of an efficiency question. Hey, let's have this conversation virtually because it's much more efficient for everybody and we can still discuss what we have to discuss. So what we see is not just technological changes, also ways of working changes and also mindset shifts, which are extremely important to, to have in, in this context in mind as well. Yeah, so there's no question, Stefan, that it's been driven by and contributed to an incredible acceleration of innovation, which is very exciting. But what about that? I guess, you know, if you're, if you're working in human resources, you have to sort of quantify these things, which are very complicated. So how do you gauge the value of a face-to-face -face meeting as against something which may be more efficient, but maybe lacks yeah, a bit of that, that chemistry? How do you go about understanding the different values in that in that process how, how do you sort of quantify almost the difference between face-to-face -face or, or remote meeting i mean first we were forced to be remotely and then we had to find ways to keep engagement levels and connectivity high so we did that via various means and uh, and instruments for instance virtual conferences uh, also stay connected which means offer different opportunities to connect, also help our managers to find new strategies and tactics to interact in a completely virtual way with their employees. And the same for our clients, how to engage in a virtual way with clients, how to make sure they feel appreciated, and also the whole aspect of health and well-being with regard to employees, but also client interactions was obviously at the heart and center throughout the first phase of the pandemic and still is. As we all see it right now, uh, the waves are coming and going. So we still need to put a lot of emphasis and health and well-being on that element. So that was the first phase. Now, what we agreed when we then started to discuss, how do we foresee an ongoing usage of working from home as an optionality, also in a post-pandemic environment, we agreed that, first of all, we want to be an active promoter of hybrid working models. But this doesn't mean that we are active promoters of you constantly work from home. Because I think that's very important to differentiate between almost being forced to constantly work from home, driven by the pandemic situation, versus having a model where you try to make benefit of a hybrid work environment, where you combine physical meetings in the office, at the same time working from home in a virtual way. And the combination of both is actually where we see the power in the new setup of hybrid work arrangements. And unlike many other banks, we were relatively early on pushing for this hybrid working model because we are convinced there are massive benefits of hybrid working models. It basically brings the strength of in-person meetings and in-person working together with the strength of virtual digital meetings and also uh, working from home, which has huge efficiency gains for employees, 
but also for organizations. And that is basically our vision in a post-pandemic environment, we want to benefit in a hybrid working model from both worlds. So your question about the challenges of creating a culture and a climate related to working from home and abroad is a very fair one. Because if you imagine a work environment where you only work remotely, you then need to apply again different strategies and tactics in order to create an environment of belonging, a team culture, a microclimate in the team. And in a hybrid work environment, you have other sets of strategies and practices you can apply. And in a fully in the office environment, you then have the, the more traditional methods you can apply. Well, yeah, and I find that interesting in terms of how you've had to change your approach to sharing exactly that culture of the business you talk about. And I'm sure many observers from outside will have seen businesses smaller businesses maybe in the kind of SME space who can pivot quite quickly because they've got that agility. What's extraordinary is that UBS seems to have demonstrated similar agility and yet with many tens of thousands of, in, of employees. I mean, how first of all, to address the scale of the business, how do you ensure that you can be agile when you're that big? And tell us a bit more about how you're maybe changing the ways you're communicating those cultural values when everyone's not together as much as they were before. I think this is, uh, this is a very important element. First, maybe if I can focus on, on the ability to innovate. And this was a very interesting experience uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. When you are forced to innovate, even traditional organizations can innovate very quickly. I believe that is driven by the very strong foundation of professionalism traditional large organizations typically have, combined with high capabilities people have in their jobs, which enables them to operate in various environments and learn very quickly and fast how to operate under new circumstances in a new environment. So this ability to keep high levels of professionalism and combining it with very innovative approaches was of course forced through the, the pandemic situation. And it also triggered some lasting good activities here at UBS because people realized how fast you can do things, how quick you can do things and still be compliant and still be of high quality. And this experience is a huge motivation and driver for us to embark on a more broader agile way of working. Because if you think about a world that is changing very fast with digital capabilities really in a year's time, almost uh, evolving from one level to another, and the next year again, it evolves to the next level, the experiences of clients and employees evolving together with these new capabilities and the requirements changing as fast as they do in a very unpredictable way, you need to operate in a way that you can address faster change. And that's basically what Agile is all about. It is about being faster in bringing better solutions to your clients. That's basically what the intention is. So you move away from large multi-year programs and projects where you go through long planning phases and then you start to implement and you have the big bang launch and you break it down into smaller iterations, very quick iterations, very structured, the right people who can take decisions working together, make step by step and with that also progress fast or fail fast and if you fail, you can immediately change direction 
and continue to move on in the right direction. So it's a very fast-paced iterative process where you bring much more empowerment to smaller units with very clear guidelines in which they can operate. The example we use to illustrate what is the difference between a traditional way of working and an agile way of working, uh, we use the example of light systems on streets versus roundabouts. If you go through a large traffic intersection and you have a light system that is centrally governed and everybody is centrally told when they can drive and when they have to stop. In a roundabout system, that is a completely different approach. You basically make sure everybody that is driving on the street understands the rules, so the guardrails are crystal clear. And then you empower all the participants in that system to operate within these guardrails, and then they are self-organized in the way they go through that traffic. And that's basically what is the difference between a centrally driven traffic light system versus a roundabout system where the participants are empowered and enabled to operate uh, within clear guardrails. And what is interesting, from a risk perspective, we know that in roundabouts you have less accidents than in traffic light systems. And we believe exactly the same uh, happens in, uh, in organizational behavior. If you have clear guardrails and people are empowered and well trained, you will have, from a risk perspective, less shortfalls than in a centrally navigated system. And therefore, Agile is not just quicker, faster and more fun for employees and better outcomes for our clients, but it is also better from a risk management perspective. Well, yeah, that's really interesting because one of the things I was going to ask you was there's a perception, or now I should say a misperception, that being agile in this way means there are fewer structures and safeguards and consequently the risk profile rises. Well, I guess maybe this pandemic has finally overturned that misperception. Why do you think, though, that perhaps in terms of corporate governance or the way people looked at these challenges from a management point of view, they had that misperception? Is it just because people are a little bit more conservative uh, always when it comes to change? Why, why, why did people equate, perhaps incorrectly, the idea that greater agility meant more risk? This is probably driven from various angles. I would say one of the key elements is also a certain lack of clear understanding what Agile really is. So you have a few buzzwords and you create your own story versus really trying to understand what Agile ways of working really means and really is. So it's the question of really understanding what Agile is. The second is having experience in a traditional way of doing things and therefore believing to be on top of risks and, con and controls versus having something new that is unknown and you have little experience and therefore automatically you have a perception that there is higher risk because it is less understood. And the third element is probably also from the industries that started to work agile, which were more the tech innovation driven industries, the perception that of course you have some very wonderful, great systems uh, that have been developed out there and products, but you also had a lot of failures. Uh, and therefore the perception was, well, we cannot afford to completely fail. Therefore, we need to operate in a way that we can actually protect from complete failure. But as mentioned before, Agile is focused on fast iterative processes where you constantly get feedback on the quality of your next step from the team, but also from the clients. So the advantage why the risk profile decreases is because you get very quick feedback. 
and if you get it wrong you can correct so basically mistakes you make have less of an impact because you correct them quickly and in, in, in faster iterations. I think these are a few of the reasons why there was a misperception uh, or partially still is a misperception uh, out there why Agile would be more chaotic, uh, uh, less clear what the outcomes are. Actually, the opposite is the case. Agile is very systematic, very well structured, but it is quick and it is empowering teams that run the processes uh, to take decisions. And one feedback which is very interesting uh, which you also receive from our employees is the feedback that it's much more fun to work in an agile environment is also an important one because ultimately we want that our employees also have fun when they work they work very hard we are very focused on uh, contribution and performance but we also want our workforce to have fun the fun comes from faster feedback more client exposure and more exposure to other experts in the organization who all work together in our agile pods who tried to solve a problem. Stefan, just on the, the hybrid model, we've already talked a little bit about some of its features, but can you kind of go back to the nuts and bolts and explain to us how you and your colleagues developed that hybrid model and how you defined you know, the, the frames of reference for what you were seeking to do? Once we realized that the way how we worked in the pandemic is actually a, a, a way that works as well, we then thought about establishing, as mentioned before, the hybrid model. And what we decided is we want to do a top-down and bottom-up approach to understand what would the best possible solution look like. So top-down meant management defined which roles can be operated in a hybrid way and which roles would not allow hybrid working from a regulatory perspective, from a risk perspective, for instance, or from an efficiency perspective. These roles were then uh, classified as not eligible for hybrid. The good thing was two-thirds of all roles were identified as possible to operate in a hybrid uh, way of working. We then also asked all our employees how they feel about hybrid working. And the feedback was uh, very interesting. Three quarters of our employees shared their desire on an ongoing basis to work in a hybrid way and the dominant split between home office and uh, work in the office was two to three days which was also very much in line with the view of management what a hybrid work arrangement would look like so basically we saw a very interesting match between employee interests and between what management felt was possible to offer in a hybrid way of working we now are already in some countries in implementation mode of this hybrid working model and it proves to work very, very well. We have also established a central system to give guidance to our employees where they can actually type in every role we have in every country and they get the feedback if that role allows you to work in a hybrid way or not. This is interesting to create transparency, but it is also important if you think about employee retention. If somebody is currently in a role that does not offer hybrid working, but that would be a very important element maybe for a next phase of life, be it because you want to do ongoing education with part-time work or you have family needs which you need to take uh, care of, you then can actually actively apply for roles which offer hybrid work uh, setups. And so from that angle, it's also a very interesting element for employee uh, retention. Well, yeah, and just on another sort of corollary point to that, Stefan, not just in employee retention, but in appealing to potential new recruits, presumably 
this has afforded a real opportunity to UBS to recalibrate how it makes those messages and, and an opportunity to find people maybe in ways and for roles that perhaps they might not otherwise have, have clicked with, with before. There's a real opportunity as well as a challenge here. It's a huge opportunity. First of all, we know that existing employees and new employees really want to work with more flexibility. And therefore, being able as an employer to offer hybrid work arrangements positions you in a very different way as an employer of choice, in particular to the new and upcoming workforce, because they are used to flexible arrangements, how they study, how they learn in their apprenticeship programs, and they want to have that on an ongoing basis in their uh, work and life combined in the, to find the right balance and the way how they want to organize their work and their life definitely is much better suited if you have more flexibility where you can work and deliver uh, your performance. So it's a huge advantage to be at the forefront as an employer to offer attractive working models, modern working models in a hybrid way of working. And therefore, we are convinced that for us as a large financial services institution to be one of the leading forces implementing hybrid work arrangements is definitely an advantage on the labor market and positions us even more as we already are as an employer of choice with future talent. Perhaps finally, Stefan, how confident are you that the innovations you've described will not only continue to deal with the challenges of the pandemic, of course, which is proving to have a very long tail indeed, but also that these changes more broadly will endure and indeed reshape the way we work with real longevity, really permanently changing, shifting the very landscape of work. Absolutely, absolutely. If I think about, for instance, ways of working, it became a very new normal that we have flexibility in where we work. This was very different two years ago. First, we had to adapt. Now we are used to it and now we will make it a new normal. So basically, this becomes a new way of working per sheer experience and good experience. We know it's desired by our employees. We know we can handle it as an organization and we know it's desired by our clients. And therefore, this will become a new normal. Hybrid work environments will become a new normal. And organizations have adapted very quickly with their leadership development activities, with their process guidelines they have, with their supervision guidelines uh, we have in place. We have adapted very quickly to that pandemic situation, but now also established lasting concepts in order to drive into that concept. I see workspace changing in a sustainable way. We will not measure office any longer in employee to desk ratios, but we will measure office space in the question, what type of work needs to be done there and therefore what type of environment do we need to create that this work can be done in an as good as possible environment we can offer to our employees. So the perception of office space uh, will, will change a lot. These are two elements only to, to name here uh, where I see lasting change which is already established in the way of operating and we will see much more. Also agile transformation definitely received a boost. Uh, through this pandemic uh, situation because organizations were forced to change the traditional ways of looking at things. One element, if I may, we haven't touched on yet, but I believe became much more important is, is the underlying question of 
what is the meaning of what I'm doing at work? So basically the question, what is the purpose? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And why am I convinced I'm adding value? And if you think about a pyramid of thoughts, you need to start with all your employees with the question, do they understand what is their added value? And do they believe that they do add value in what they do? So understanding the why, the meaning of what you do. Then the next level is you need to have a clear strategy driving from that why what you are going to focus on. And then the next element is the execution capability in a fast changing environment where the ways of working come in. And you need to combine that with a high level of care for your employees. Because the element of care should not be underestimated. It starts with showing appreciation. It then goes on to building resilience. It goes on to leadership development, team culture building, but also to health and well-being, which are all extremely important elements. And the more hybrid you go, the more uncertainty you have, the faster you change, the more this element of care combined with a clear vision and the purpose where you go in creates actually the organizational belonging and attaches employees to an organization. And I think these are the elements we want to think through and make them solid establishments on what UBS stands for and what are we focused on, what we stand for as an organization, what our employees stand for as individuals and what we drive together as an organization in the ecosystem we operate in. Stefan Seiler. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance every week here on Monocle 24. You can listen again and find out more as always at monocle.com or catch up via your preferred podcast platform, the Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24.